following sermon was delivered at the 1030 worship service at the United Methodist Church of Kent. Please enjoy. When I was um, growing up, well, let me rephrase that. Some folks would say I've never grown up, so we'll, we'll just leave that out there. When I was much younger, I played a lot of baseball. Who is that cute little kid up there in the glasses? Whatever became of him. And whenever the sun was out, I was, we were playing baseball. And at, at an early age, I could bat both sides of the plate. I could throw from either, either side. Somebody come in from the field, I'd say, give me your glove. They'd say, I'm left-handed. I said, I don't care. I was at that, playing that phase of the game that was, I was at that age that was just beyond coach pitch. And my dad was my coach, okay? And in this one particular game, I don't know what happened the first time I got up. I probably struck out. I know I batted from the right side. Next time I got up, my dad pulled me aside and said, bat from the left side. Now you need to understand in those days, if you were left-handed, there were all sorts of ways that folks would encourage you not to be. They would encourage you to, um, shall we say, correct your theology. So I got up, left-handed, and I could already hear the commotion from the opposing team. I hit the ball. God is good. Um, I hit the ball. I think it was a short grounder to the shortstop. And this shortstop picked up the ball and stood there and held it. I'm losing my... And as he held it, he began to yell, he can't do that. That's unfair. He cheats. That's unfair. And pretty soon, his teammates are joining in the choir. That's not fair. I made it to first base safe. I don't know what happened the rest of the game. Now is there any parent here or anyone who's ever been working with children or youth or for that matter is there anyone here who has never heard or said or felt those words? It's not fair. And sometimes, sometimes, that's not just a kid's game anymore. The complaint is as ancient as time itself and goes back to the earliest time. 
You heard in the scripture lesson this morning, the Old Testament lesson, can't you hear the echo of those kids from those Israelites wandering in the desert? It's not fair. We had plenty to eat when we were back in Egypt. Yeah, we were slaves. But Egypt grew all the grain anybody could ever want. We had five kinds of bread. I wonder if they had pumpernickel, by the way. I don't know. And now, now, and scholars tell us that about at this point there, about six weeks into the journey. Now, we're hungry. I'm going to fix this stupid thing yet. <laughs> Time out. As a commercial says, can you hear me now? <laughs> Back to the story. Now, now we're hungry. It's not fair. We had plenty to eat back then. And as the story goes, God provides for their hunger by giving them what? Anyone? Bread? What's the, what's the other word for that? Manna. Do you know what the literal translation of the word manna is? What is it? Literally. Can't you, can't you almost hear the echo of those, uh, of those kids? As, as the ancient Israelites are told to, to scoop up this flaky stuff that comes off the ground after the dew's melted away. And there you'll have enough bread to eat for the day. What is this stuff? It's not fair. And some centuries later, A Jewish rabbi, itinerant preacher, travels the countryside telling what it is to live in God's kingdom and be a part of what it is to live a life with God. And he told us such wonderful stories that we call parables. And one of the things about parables that I believe is that they are wonderful and they invite us into a world of their own. They're easily relatable and identifiable. But at some point, that comfort gets askew. And it is at that point that we need to, point, that we need to pay attention. By this point in Jesus' ministry, he has started to collect quite a crowd. We know that. He has Jews and Gentiles, even within his closest associates, the disciples. He has one who is a zealot Jew and one who's a hated tax collector. So he has, not only within his closest associates, but quite a following of Jews and Gentiles. Now for the Jews to hear this story of 
the workers in the vineyard. All Jesus has to say is the word vineyard. And good Jews would know right away they're talking about what it means to be the people of God. Some of the most ancient imageries in the Old Testament of the people of God have to do with vineyards. Isaiah 5 is a wonderful and beautiful piece of poetry that is almost a love song, or so it starts that way. Let me sing a song for my beloved, the prophet says. A vine dresser went out to plant some vines, and right away you're drawn into the imagery. So it's an imagery of the vineyard that folks knew, good Jewish folks knew well. Here too, folks could readily identify with, with a landowner who goes out to hire some workers. Ancient Palestine had its fair share of its unemployment rate. And folks, it was, they were poor, and landowners would go out often to hire people to work the land. So in both the vineyard and the landowner, we get a bit of a hint that things are going to change. Now you know the story. A landowner gets up early in the morning and hires some workers. Now notice there's no stopping at Starbucks for coffee or a latte. There's no going to Dunkin' Donuts. But he gets up early in the morning and hires some workers. And these first workers are offered what? A denarian. At that time, that wasn't $15 an hour, but it was a good day's wage. And it would help a family last about three or four days. So then the landowner goes out again and hires more workers. And what's the pay? They agree to a normal day's wage. And again, and again, the landowner goes out and hires more workers. Now, didn't he know how many folks he would have to hire? That's not the point of the story. And at the 11th hour, he goes out and hires some folks, but notice there's no mention of how much they'll be paid. Evening has now come. It's time, payday has come. And it's time for the workers to be paid. This time, the landowner engages one of his workers, probably the vice president of human relations or of payroll, to take care of things. And those that were hired last get paid first. Not the usual way of doing business. And what do they receive? A denarian. Now let me ask, you don't have to put your hands up, but as, as I read the story, how many of you in this point started going, ooh, 
That's not right. Something's not right here. If we're to be honest in looking at the story, the order of justice is maintained. The, f the story says that the first order, that the first workers agreed to a denarian. That's what they were paid, wasn't it? Doesn't mention when the others were hired, how much they would be paid. The order of justice has been maintained. What happens is the complaint of the dissatisfied workers is that you have made those so-and-sos, you can fill in the blank, equal to us. It's not as though they're angered by what happened to them, as envious of the good fortune of others. They're so blinded by their own sense of justice that it becomes the, the norm by which they judge others. They want to order the world by their norms. It's a good thing that that doesn't happen today. Sarcasm noted. Like any of Jesus' parables, this one invites us to look through a different lens. And like the parables, it turns the world upside down. You see, on one level, the story is an indictment against those who would execute their own brand of justice and righteousness on others. There were those in Jesus' time who thought they had their own corner on the market, if you will, as far as God was concerned. Again, it's a good thing that doesn't happen these days. But if we're really honest with ourselves, and maybe it's just me, isn't there just a little bit of that in all of us? On one level, the story is a warning against those whose sense of justice leads to an attitude of entitlement and arrogance. A word of judgment to those who feel that they are the ones in charge of dispensing God's judgment and grace. So the question becomes, who's Jesus really talking to? As I said, you'll recall that Jesus had both Jews and Gentiles. Scholars, some scholars think that Jesus could have been addressing those who thought they had an inside track on God. But it wasn't the case. More than once, he encounters folks, Pharisees, that thought they had their understanding of God and thought that was the only way. The great preacher Fred Craddock 
once said that it is possible to get an A in Bible and flunk Christianity. Jesus proclaims a gospel of love and mercy for all. You'll recall in Matthew's Sermon on the Mount, that wonderful passage of his teachings. Jesus is telling his disciples and us to love your neighbor, pray for those who persecute you. And then he has this passage that is, for many, one of the most difficult passages in the Bible. For God makes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends the rain to fall on the just and the unjust alike. Doesn't God know that's no way to run the world? I mean, if I had my way, I'd make the rain fall right up to the fence line of those unjust, unrighteous folks. And sooner or later, sooner or later, they'll get the picture. Won't they? God makes the sun to rise and the evil and the good and the rain to fall on the just and the unjust alike. Like so many of Jesus' stories, there's more to the story. On a fundamental, very human level, the parable is an acknowledgement that, quite frankly, life isn't always fair. We wish it were so, that sometimes bad things happen to good people, and sometimes good things happen to bad people. It's not fair, and when it happens, I want to scream, it's not fair, it's not right, and if you've ever been there, you know how it feels, and that's okay. You're not alone. Each Sunday, we begin with a very simple call and response. You know it well. God is good. All the time. Let's be honest. Are there some Sundays when those words are just hard to say? And it's not a statement about God. It's a statement about me and where I am. Sometimes life's not fair. And it's hard to say, God is good all the time, because I'm just not feeling it. I want to share a story. As a pastor, I, I've sat in hospital rooms stood at the graveside with folks who wonder why. Some of you will recall the book a number of years ago when bad things happen to good people by a, a rabbi, Harold Kushner, who wrote the book after dealing with, with um, losing their son to progeria, a rapid aging disease. The son died at 14 years old. 
Some years ago, we had a couple in the church that I was at at the time. They'd been married 70, give or take, number of years. Never had any children. As I heard their story, there were, there were more than enough times that, that they could have cried out, it's not fair, God. Why did this happen? It's not fair, it's not right. As I came to know them, she was already well advanced in that terrible disease of dementia. And she would visit them in a home and she would shuffle and stand at the table and straighten papers out and shuffle over here and straighten more papers. Fred, her husband, told me, he said, you should see the kitchen sometimes. She decided to straighten up the kitchen. It came to a point where she had to be in a nursing home. And on a couple occasions, we thought she was going to pass. And Fred would call me, and we'd go visit. On this one particular morning, quite honestly, I got to the church, and I had a laundry list of things that I, that I was going to do, that I needed to do. And I wasn't there five minutes. Visiting with Fred and his wife was not among that list. I went there five minutes, the phone rang, and Fred said, I think it's time, Bob. And we went to the nursing home. Now, when we got there, shared some scripture, shared some prayers. And after a bit, Fred stepped out of the room. And she motioned that she wanted to sit up. I'm going to try this. And as she sat there, she did this. And in my brilliance, I said, you're trying to tell me something. Now, those of you that know me know that one of the gifts that God did not give me is the gift to sing. And Fred and I teased each other that both of us missed the boat as far as that was concerned. So I said, told her to wait a minute, and I stepped out in the hall and I grabbed Fred. I said, Fred, come on, we're going to sing. If you could have seen his face. He came back in and I said, tell me again. Now if you missed it, Don's going to help us and I'm counting on the choir to help us with this one.
The other thing I forgot to tell you is that she taught Sunday school in that church for decades. When we gathered to celebrate her life, I asked Fred for permission to share that story. And there were people there that were her Sunday school students from decades before. And as I shared that story, they looked at me like, well, of course. That's who she was. Here was one who had faced more than her share of adversity, more than her share of saying, God, it's not fair. Here was one whose last words were a song that she would teach Sunday school kids. Here was one that knew the reality of God's infinite love and grace for all. Life isn't always fair, folks. There's a part of me that wishes I could tell you otherwise. Bad things happen to good people. And at times we find ourselves lost in the wilderness, maybe not wandering like the ancient Israelites, but, but wandering in a wilderness of our own. And God still provides. What is it? the bread from heaven that nourishes us and feeds us for our journey. The parable of the laborers in the vineyard is ultimately about God. God's generosity and grace that perhaps too often violates our own sense of what is right and how things should be if we ran the world. But no matter what, through it all, what I know is that through it all, there is one whose love and grace carries us through even the toughest of times. Thank you for listening to this edition of the United Methodist Church of Kent Sermon Podcast. For more information about the church, visit www.kent.org.